friends, welcome to another episode of Making Disciples. It's so good to have you with me today. Today's episode is an interview uh, with Jeff Lucas. If you've never come across Jeff Lucas, uh, then I'd check him out. Give him a Google. Read anything that Jeff has written. Uh, For years, I knew Jeff through Spring Harvest, and he's been a a Spring Harvest regular for years upon years upon years. Recently, a couple of years ago, came back to the Bible teaching for us after having a break, and he was just brilliant. He is absolutely uh, fantastic. You know, he's on uh, the radio, Christian radio all the time. He's one of the pastors of Timbal and Church in Colorado. He's been writing everyday Bible reading notes for years and years and years and years. He's been writing for Christianity magazine for years and years and years as well but the reason I've got him on the podcast today is this he's written a book called Faith in the Fog this is not a new book it's a old book it's been around a number of years but a friend of mine put me onto this book and I started reading it I just thought it was wonderful such a great book exploring doubt and faith and struggle and suffering and where is God in all of that and he was such a powerful book that I thought I would jump on to the podcast and get him on here so I emailed him and he responded pretty sharpish and said yes so within a couple of days I was able to grab an interview with him on uh, faith in the fog where is God in suffering where is God when you can't see him so I pray and hope you find this episode really inspiring with Jeff Uh, give it a listen you might even want to give it a share and tell others about it look if you're listening to this podcast but you don't subscribe love you to subscribe we have thousands and thousands of you listen each week to this podcast um so i'd love you to subscribe so you know each week when a new episode has come out but here we go the interview with jeff lucas uh faith in the fog Jeff, welcome to Making Disciples. Thank you so much for giving me a little bit of your time this afternoon. Thanks for having me, Chris. Nice to be with you. It's a pleasure. It's great. Hey, I reached out to you because I've been reading this. Now, this book, Faith in the Fog, has been out a while. This is not a new book. Right. Um, But I recently picked this up. I'd read a book about something similar, and I'd I thought it was an awful book. It was. I thought, is this really the best we can write about these difficult seasons? And a friend of mine said, well, have you read Jeff's book? I said, no. So I got a copy and I've just found it really, really helpful. Um, do you want to give us just a 30 second synopsis of the book? So for those that might be thinking, hang on, do I want to get a copy of this? This is a moment just to, you know, to sell it. Yeah, sure. Uh, it's it's the whole book really is based around the the breakfast that Jesus shared with his weary, somewhat fed up friends and disciples mm-hmm. on the beach at Tabgar in Galilee. And you read about it in John twenty one, Chris. And it's a it's a beautiful episode of restoration, clarity in the midst of confusion. But also, it's a really sobering episode because on the menu quite unexpectedly was a prophetic death sentence for Peter who finds out I mean can you imagine that being told by Jesus the nature of the death that you're going to die which would create 10,000 questions you know is it gonna hurt should I carry on with the diet you know all those kind of things Um, but nevertheless in this sobering um, episode, there's 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 great hope for these disciples who were somewhat fog-bound. Yeah. And, and I love this metaphor that you use in there about the fog. And I think, you know, it applies beautifully to depression. It f- applies beautifully to doubt. It f- applies 
beautifully to grief. Uh, and, you know, many of us go through these seasons where we just feel like we're surrounded by a fog and we're asking this question, you know, where is God? You know, this has not played out the way we expected it to play out. Uh, and that's one of the things I found really beautiful um, about that metaphor, particularly of um, Peter uh, on the beach with Jesus. You know, I'd love to pick, pick up some of that with you uh, in a minute. Um, one of the key things I want to say to you is that I, I want to talk about Christianity this afternoon uh, and move us away from the vitriolic Christianity that we see uh, riddled throughout the church uh, to what I find in this book is just a beautiful, real encounter with Jesus. It's not all triumphalistic. It's not everything will be perfect. The resurrection always works out. Uh, but actually, being a Christian long term is hard work. And there are seasons when it is it is really difficult. You know, for you, um, you know, you've had seasons where you've struggled. Uh, you've been in the fog, you talk about it in the book. Um, what was it like for you, you know, Christian speaker, uh, seem to have it all held together, writer, but yet you know you're going through this difficult season. What you know? What was that like for you? Yeah, it was really difficult because um, when I when I spent around a year in clinical depression, not only did I feel bad, but as a Christian leader, I had an added bonus, mm -hmm. and that was I felt bad because I felt bad. Um, and back then, it was because it's some years ago now. It was less. Um, it, it, it was more difficult, really, to talk about depression back then. Strangely, mm -hmm. the notion seemed to be that you could just pray this away and everything would be okay. And so it was really difficult. But actually, as I turned to Scripture and and looked at people like Elijah, let's face it, Chris, he did pretty well, didn't he? You know, fire down from heaven and all that, um, you know, hold up in a cave, basically saying, I'm had enough, kill me now. And let's face it, you know, dear God, kill me now. That's not a great prayer for um, a Christian refrigerator magnet, really. It doesn't work so well. But I looked at people like Elijah, like the Apostle Paul, who said, in our hearts, we've been feeling the sentence of death. And then at Jesus, who says in Gethsemane that he's overwhelmed, and the word there means to be pressed down or to be depressed, and suddenly I realized that seasons of sadness, they certainly shouldn't surprise us. And actually, during this season that we've been through, this Bruce Willis disaster movie of, of a COVID pandemic where Brucey hasn't turned up yet to rescue us, I suddenly, I've realized that much of the Bible is written by people in lockdown for people in lockdown, whether it's whether it's the story of Joseph or the Israelites in Egypt or, or Paul and Silas humming their hymns at midnight or the Apostle John on the prison island of Patmos. It's so much about lockdown. So when we, when we hold a Bible in our hands and we say, where is God in all of this? It's a legitimate question because we do believe in an interventionist God. We can be disappointed, but we shouldn't be surprised when we look at Scripture because seasons of sadness and, and lament are part of the deal for the follower and friend of Jesus. Hey, it's part of the deal, but it's, it's the heart of our faith. 
uh, right at the heart of our faith is a God who suffers. Where yeah. have we gone wrong? Like, why, why theologically have we ended up in a place where it is this vitriolic Christianity? You know, most conferences you attend, it's much more like a let, let's go and have a jamboree because you know we're in a battle and we're going to win. Whereas actually, most of us feel like we're in the place where we're hiding, we're scared, uh, we are locked away, and it doesn't feel vitriolic. Like, how you know, where have we gone wrong with with our faith? Well, I suppose songs of lament are difficult to create, aren't they? For example, in the worship context that you've just described, the, the worship leader who says, let's all stand together, we're going to sing number 47, I'm naffed off, how about you, is probably not going to be that great when it comes to picking up that song. But I also think we've got this instinctive idea it, that we've, tried, we, we've somehow got to make the good news better than it really is. And the good news, again, particularly for Peter and for all of the disciples, well, it was about it was about a death-beating um, resurrection message. But let's remind ourselves that breakfast at Tabga, this was after the resurrection. And they're still bewildered and confused and, and fed up and broken. And so Somehow, we, 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 I think we've tried to airbrush Christianity and, and make it a, a pathway to a, a, a better, more fulfilling existence versus what it actually is. It is the right way, but it's often a pathway that is stony and the stones get in your sandals or sometimes you're on the receiving end of them being thrown at you. Um, that is the core message of um, what it means to follow Christ. Yeah. So can I ask you a difficult question then? Uh, when we are going through the fog, when we're in that season uh, where we just don't know what's going on, uh, where is God in that? Where is he? Where will we find him? Where should we find him? Where, where can we hope to find him? I think we can hope to find him particularly really in the place of faith. I mean, and that sounds like a cliched answer. I remember years ago when I was really struggling, Adrian Plass, who's become a close friend, I remember him telling me, your feelings are not the barometer of your spirituality. And that really helped me because I felt like I needed to be either happy which and that happiness was elusive or or joyful and i couldn't quite figure out what that was about and frankly chris i'm still trying to struggle to figure that out this joy thing and i mean that's that feels to me like something that is quite elusive so i suppose for me i find myself in the place where i perhaps find god in not necessarily finding God, that I find him in the place of recognizing that right now, to use the King James Version language, we see through a glass darkly, which means the double glazing is dirty and we're peering through. And therefore, times when he is silent, and I'm a card-carrying charismatic who believes that God speaks and God intervenes, but I've got to confess he hasn't been nearly as chatty as I anticipated he would be 40-something years ago when I decided to follow him. So being in a place where silence is okay, where God's hiddenness is okay, where we recognize not only the mystery 
of unanswered prayer, but the mystery of answered prayer, because answered prayer is a bigger problem. Why did God choose to respond to that particular petition and not to this other one? Um, but being in that place of saying, I don't see, I don't hear, I don't understand, which sounds quite a lot like one of the confessions that Mother Teresa made when she talked about her own battle with doubt and, and depression. Being in that place where we are hopeful and yet not triumphalistic, that for me is, is, is where I find I have to live. And there are those moments where light breaks in and the whisper comes, but often it's a whisper. Mm. And, it's, and, and that drives me nuts, frankly, because I'm, I want to say, God, mm. quit, quit with the hinting thing. Just, just turn up the volume some. But um, I also feel like community is a big part of this. So last weekend, when I went to our local parish church and we stood shoulder to shoulder, actually not shoulder to shoulder, shoulder to socially distant shoulder. And behind our masks, we mumbled the, the creed. There was something intrinsically powerful about that and really powerful because um, the, the, the lady who sat behind me, who I later found out is, is recently been widowed, when they played the hymns, because we weren't allowed to sing them, she hummed along. And I listened to her humming and I thought something really beautiful about that. There's something really quite not rebellious, but like resilient. Sometimes faith is a victorious song and sometimes faith is just humming behind a mask and saying, I don't know where you've gone, God, but I'm sticking with you anyway. I find it really hard when people ask me, uh, how's your church doing, Chris? Because my honest answer is, well, it feels like 10 steps forward and 12 steps back all the time. And you have breakthrough and loss all at the same time. And in those two places, you feel like you're not, sometimes you feel like you're not actually going anywhere. Um, we've just on Monday, one of my dearest friends from church passed away um, from cancer. And that's great. You know, we've been weeping and weeping and weeping since Monday. Um, but we've also got seven people who've signed up to get baptized and commit their life to Jesus all in the same few days. And it just feels like, well, how am I meant to feel right now? Because I'm happy, but I'm not. And I'm joyful, but I'm not. And, and actually that is more like the Christian walk. It's, it's, it's all of it mixed together at the same time. It, it's never, never feels like it's 20 steps forward. Everything's going crazily well. Um, the, the entire neighborhood is coming to faith. It just feels like this mishmash of, well, there's good things, bad things. And it's just somehow in all of this, God is somewhere. God is somehow yeah. doing. Yeah. And that not that, that's the pattern of the gospels with Jesus, you know, people lining up until late into the night for him to heal them. And then the very next thing is the Pharisaic barons are showing up whining. Yeah. And you look, you look in the book of Acts and you've got, for example, Paul the Apostle floating around in his missionary journeys, doing the most stunning miracles, but every city he went to, he caused a riot. So you've got this mingling of God breaking in and intervening. And I think if I'd have been Paul, seeing the miracles that he did, I might have been tempted to say, you know, that lynch mob that was chasing me today, God, why didn't you just kill them? 
that would be helpful. But you've got exactly as you've described these tram lines of intervention and breakthrough Mm. mingled with with, uh, a sense of helplessness Mm. and lament. So I'm with you when people say, how's the church going? And people say to me, how are you doing? And my answer is, depends what time of the day you ask me. Um, I, I don't know, because 45 minutes ago, I was feeling pretty sad. And now I'm happy to be having a conversation and the heart is lifted. So, but that is the nature of life. And that is life again, as the Bible presents it. Yeah, I mean, I, I was commenting this morning on my mobile. Uh, I've got six text messages right now I've not responded to. Uh, they're all identical texts from different people. And they essentially say, Chris, how are you doing? And I can't answer that question. I don't know how I'm doing right now. I don't, I don't know. I, the text messages that say, Chris, do we have enough wine for Sunday service? Hey, I can answer that. The answer is yes. Uh, you know, do you want a coffee? Yes. How are you doing? I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how I'm doing. And I haven't responded because I just don't know how to put words to, to that very question. Um, I'd love to ask you this. When you've got somebody in your pastoral ministry, when you've got somebody in front of you and they say, look, I've just lost my baby, or they say my marriage is falling apart, or I've lost my dream job, um, what are your words of encouragement into those places? You know, how do you articulate the good news into what feels like just you know, the horribleness of life? How, you know, what do you say in those situations to people? I, I find myself saying, I am so sorry, because I am. Mm. I never say, even if I think I might, I understand how you feel, because nobody understands how anybody feels about anything. Mm. That's the reality. We can have a certain quality of empathy if we have something of a shared experience, but I would never, ever say, I know how you feel. And I I find myself simply pointing them to, as you put it earlier, to not only the God, but the the God that we serve, but the God who suffered. And that somehow, and I struggle with this, because when we look in scripture, we see a God who sees, but whenever he sees, he cares. But I would try and enter into the mystery with them of saying, he sees, he cares. And I wish we could see more tangible intervention as a result of that care. And at this moment, you don't see that. I am so sorry. I do pray that you will know something of the comfort of God in this moment, the God who enters into our story. Because if I can just say this, Chris, one of the one of my favorite bits of the John 21 breakfast, going back to faith in the fog is where Peter sits down by the fire with Jesus. And preachers have had a bit of a field day with that because the last place that Peter was by a fire in John's gospel, he's warming his hands, denying Jesus. Was Jesus tormenting Peter with that memory? I don't think so. My speculation is that Jesus was entering into Peter's story in that moment and then inviting him in the place of failure to be able to say, I love you again, because shame makes us want to retreat and shut our worship down and run away from the holiness of God. 
Whereas in this moment, as Peter sits down with Jesus, he knows that Jesus knows mm. and that Jesus is in the story with him. And yet there is another opportunity to once again affirm allegiance and, and love for Jesus, which I think is beautiful. So I would want to affirm to that person, regardless of the circumstances, yeah. not regardless, but whatever the circumstance seems to be screaming, there is a God. He weeps with you. May you get a sense of his strength and presence with you in this. Yeah, thanks for that, Jeff. That's wonderful. Um, I just want to ask you this. It seems to me from listening to you preach many times at Spring Harvest that um, perfect Christians seem to irritate you. And you, um, I heard you preach years ago just about how you were irritated at perfect Christians who went around uh, being perfect all the time and that you associated much more with, uh, with real, real people than Christians. I just want to ask you this question, you know, Christianity is hard. Um, what is it for you, uh, you know, these perfect Christians who seem to ooze everything's okay and it's just not? What is it for you about a real hearty Christianity, a real people, broken people meeting Jesus that, that does inspire you? Um, what is it about real people and, and a real God in real mess that, that is something more uh, tangible for you? Well, I mean, it, it's, it's authenticity and it's faithfulness in the midst of brokenness. You see, the thing about perfect Christians is that there are none. They're faking it. You know, I, I don't care how fantastic their families are or how, you know, the fact that they read Leviticus prior to breakfast. There, there are no perfect Christians. And, but I don't want to be in the place of saying, of surrendering to our brokenness. Mm -hmm. I want to say, yeah, we're all broken. Everybody's busted. We're all under construction. But what inspires me is people who are faithfully continuing to pursue God faithfully in the midst of their brokenness. Mm -hmm. And they're not trying to pretend that they have arrived. They are very much travelers rather than people who've come to a destination. But I want to be around that crowd. And I'm so grateful that over the years, actually at places like Spring Harvest um, and in the local church, I've met the unsung heroes of the faith who have been punched and pummeled by life. And in some cases, tragedy after tragedy. But there's a, there's a scripture in the Old Testament. I can't remember where it is um, as it happens right now. But it describes um, somebody or a group of people. It says they were faint but pursuing. And I love that. I love that idea that I might be weary and exhausted, frankly, fed up and um occasionally pretty angry, but I'm going to continue to try to pursue God. And much of that pursuing may involve some complaining. Um, in fact, I like it again, coming back to that breakfast. I love it when Peter's been told what's going to happen to him. And then John, the beloved disciple shows up and, um, and Peter says, yeah. what about him? Like, have you got a cracker for him, Jesus? You know, what, you know, and, and Jesus could have said, well, yes, actually, he is going to be exiled on the Isle of Patmos and they are going to try to boil him alive um, and he will survive. 
Um, but Jesus doesn't say any of that. He says, what is that to you? Yeah. So the people that really inspire me are the ones who don't allow either the tragedies or the mm. trivialities of life to take them away from that core focus mm. that they are broken, but that Jesus is no longer broken. He is mm. whole and invites us into that journey towards wholeness. Those are the people that I want to be around with rather than, I mean, I get really frustrated around Christmas time because you get all those Christmas newsletters from those bionic families with, with children who play 37 musical instruments and can speak Hebrew and the kids are all under five. It's remarkable, really. I'd, I'd rather be with the broken crowd. Yeah. Jeff, thank you so much for sharing with me. Thank you for Faith in Fog. I just found it wonderful. It was such a refreshing uh, read, it, you know, not triumphalistic, but very focused on Jesus, Jesus with us uh, in what we go through. And I think at the end of the day, uh, we may not see much of God. We may be looking through that that window, that dirty window, but actually Jesus is there somewhere. We we know that to be true. And as long as we can keep that, you know, one foot in front of the other, trusting in him, listening to him where we can, seek him, seeking him out where we can, finding him in others, uh, you know, that's, that's it, isn't it? It's that faith journey. Some seasons feeling very close, some seasons feeling very distant, but that does, our emotions do not dictate how good God is. God is faithful no matter what. So thank you uh, thank so you. much. Thank you for your time. Really appreciate you. And uh, yeah, hopefully I have you back on Making Disciples at some point. Thanks so much, Chris. God bless you. Grace and peace. Peace.